Thank you for joining us for the Local Church Podcast. At Local Church, we value each person's unique experience with faith and hope this message impacts you today. Well, welcome everybody. If you have got your Bibles, would you turn with me to Philippians 4, verse 4 through to 13. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, and this is important, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Remember, this is Paul writing and he's writing from a prison. Indeed, he says, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Incredible. My message today, if you're taking notes, is entitled, Living with a Restful Soul. Living with a Restful Soul. Let's pray and then we're going to dive in to this message today. God, we thank you for your word today. And Holy Spirit, I ask, would you meet with every single person? We thank you that we can come to you and we can approach you with all the worries of this world and all of our anxieties and heavy burdens. And we can find rest for our souls. I ask, Lord, would you speak today? Would you minister to us in Jesus' mighty name? And every person said, Amen. Amen. We are living in an age of anxiety, stress, consumerism, and a deep sense of dissatisfaction. Many, if not most of my pastoral meetings with people reveal that this isn't just a battle for a few, but it's the battle for the majority of people, myself included. Our lives are filled with worry for the future, with anxiety about current situations we are facing, and an unhealthy desire for more. More stuff, more money, 
more opportunities, better jobs, better homes, better cars, more kids, less kids. What we have is never quite right. There has grown in us an insatiable desire for more that leads us to be filled with this worry and anxiety and this deep sense of dissatisfaction. And so the cycle continues as we want for more, we get more than we want more, not realizing that more is never going to be enough. And so never escaping the anxiety it causes in our hearts and in our minds, leaving our bodies and our spirits depleted of that which only the eternal can truly satisfy and leaving our souls constantly at war with itself, not able to form into the fullness of who we could truly become. Does any of this sound familiar to you? This journey of life is a journey of soul formation, of becoming who God has made us to be. The journey, the incredible journey, the powerful journey, the, the, the privileged journey of sanctification. And that is to be Christ-like, to become more like Christ, to become more like Jesus. Jesus, he is the man who didn't have a home, who didn't have all of the stuff, whose life was continually about others. He is the one who slept when the storms of this world raged around him. He is the one who stooped down to wash his disciples' feet. And Paul, the writer of these incredible letters, and obviously my last few messages have been around Paul's letters, and I've just found a, a new sense of um, excitement and passion about Paul's writings, the Apostle Paul, so incredible. But Paul, the writer of these letters that give us such a broad scope of biblical living, continually points us to the simple practices of Jesus, the way that he lived continually and graciously, so graciously reminding us about the fullness of life and the contentment that can be found in biblical living. And in this series that we are doing, the practice of biblical living, our goal is simply to help us as believers recognize the power in practicing biblical living, that it's not just a set of rules and regulations that we can so often believe when it comes to the Bible and the way that it tells us to live, but recognize and realize that in a world that is driven by consumerism and the need for more and this feeling like we never quite measure up, practicing biblical living causes us to realize that we can reach contentment, we can find contentment because we have all that we need. And so as I read this passage of scripture, I want to highlight for us some practices that I believe Paul is encouraging you and I as believers to put in place in our lives. Because I don't know if you've noticed, perhaps it's just me, but there is an ever-moving goalpost of satisfaction in our world. There is always a next step. There is always a next thing. I have become acutely aware of this, reminded again of this kind of landslide uh, by doing house renovations. We get given this miracle of a home for our family uh, here in Canada. 
And yet once we moved in, it was like every day I was thinking to myself, okay, tomorrow when I wake up, all I need to do is do this. All I need to do is achieve this. Once we get this finished, then I'll feel satisfied. Then I'll feel content. If only we could buy this thing for the house, then I'll get there. And in um, just asking God what it was that he wanted me to share, he well and truly took me through the journey of recognizing the slide of realizing I had been given this miracle and I was missing out on the blessing because I was so focused on the next step. There is always a next step, a next thing. There is always tomorrow, which so often causes us to miss out on today. We are driven by progress rather than promise. And the demand for progress causes our souls to be restless. But God's rest is found in his promises, in his word, in the Bible. And we break the cycle that we too often find ourselves in by practicing the way of Jesus. Philippians 4.4 simply says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Paul, right through his letters, right through his teachings, right throughout the Bible, it is continually reminding us that as Christians, we should be rejoicing, we should be grateful. And so our first practice, I believe, has got to be the practice of gratitude. Today, we're talking about living biblically, the, the practice of biblical living. And I believe in this uh, passage of scripture, the first practice that we must focus on is the practice of gratitude. I read this quote that says, gratitude can transform common days into thanksgiving, turn routine jobs into joy, and change ordinary opportunities into blessings. A psychology study was done to show the benefits of gratitude, practicing gratitude for the everyday person. They found that there were three categories, psychological benefits, physical benefits, and social benefits. The psychological benefits represented a happier you. They found that for any person who was regularly practicing gratitude, they had more positive emotions and thoughts. They were more aware and more awake. They had increased satisfaction and enhanced mood. They found physical benefits, which represented a healthier you. For the person who was practicing gratitude, they found that they had a stronger immune system, less body pains and aches, optimum blood pressure and cardiac functioning, and better sleep-wake cycles. The social benefits represented a better you. For those who were practicing gratitude, they found that they had better communication, more empathy, stronger interpersonal relationships, more likability among groups, and more involvement as team members. People are starting to catch on to this idea of gratitude as if it's a new thing, but this is not new. This is a practice of Jesus. This is what the Bible encourages us to do and, and encourages us to live with gratitude. And it should be the daily practice for the Christian. So many of our daily attitudes could be solved by the simple practice of gratitude. 
I mentioned this in my last message, but Paul is regularly reminding the church to be grateful, to rejoice. Why? Because we have Christ and he is enough. He is sufficient. We cannot simply sing songs like Christ is enough for me. We can't just be the people who pray for people when they're in need and say, you know what? Christ is enough. We need to believe this because we have a living and active relationship with God. And we recognize that our faith goes beyond simply saying, hey, I'm a Christian and I show up to church every now and then. And sometimes I read my Bible. We need to have a deeper understanding of what it is that Christ brings into our lives and the contentment that can be found when we have an active and living relationship with God and the realization that we can indeed rejoice and be grateful because he is sufficient. Amen. It's what sets us apart as Christians. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. We have something to be deeply grateful for. The difference between us and the world is the recognition that we know We can look to a loving Father who has given us all that we need. And as we focus on Him, our attention shifts from our lack and focuses on our blessings. Time and time again, we find Paul again returning to the theme of joy, this time strongly emphasizing that it should be an attitude that is constant and not temporary. You know, joy is not some shallow slip of smile on your face. Joy, as said in Galatians 5.22, is the fruit of the Holy Spirit that is alive in the Christian. When we are connected to the vine, we have direct access to the fruit of the Holy Spirit so that no matter what we face, when the storms come, whenever we're facing anxiety or, or asking God, what's the next thing for me? We can understand that we find a strength that is found in the joy of the Holy Spirit given to us by the Spirit. It is what sets us apart. We should believe that we can rejoice. Every believer should seek to rejoice in the Lord despite difficult situations and circumstances. And remember that Paul literally writes these words while a prisoner in Rome. He had been wrongfully arrested for some time, shipwrecked on the way there, bitten by a snake and left under house arrest. Some of us know what that feels like. Left under house arrest for two years. He had every reason to complain. And yet he didn't. He rejoiced because he had a deep understanding of the joy of knowing Christ and the fact that when you know Christ, you have all that you need. You want to live with a restful soul, not just have the classic line of when we die, our souls can now be at rest, but live with a restful soul. You want to be serious about living with a restful soul? Then get serious about practicing gratitude. The same way that you wake up and hopefully brush your teeth in the morning, practice gratitude. The same way that you make your smoothie each day, practice gratitude. As Christians, we have lost this idea of ensuring that we're actually living biblically in our day to day, not just on a Sunday, not just when we're feeling all spiritual and like, oh God, I want to connect to you. Every single day, there are practices of biblical living that help us to have the kind of life that is going to cause us to live with a restful soul. The second practice that I see in this passage of scripture is the practice of unburdening. 
unburdening, the practice of unburdening. It says uh, from, from uh, number six, do not be anxious, verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, an incredible scripture. Levi mentioned it last week where Jesus actually opens up and shares about his heart towards us. One of the only scriptures, the only scripture where Jesus literally talks about his heart is found in this passage. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says this, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle in heart. It's powerful. That one moment where Jesus gets to share his heart with us. He says, I am humble and gentle. Another version says, I am humble and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. You don't need to unburden before you come to Jesus. Your burden, friends, is what qualifies you to come to Jesus. Your weariness is what he calls to. So many of us walk around with a heavy burden, not realizing that we are even carrying it. Many of us have been carrying the same burden for far too long. And in our journey of Christianity, we can have a once in a while attitude towards coming to the cross, coming to Jesus and laying down that burden. But we need to get our thinking away from a relationship with God that is an every now and then kind of relationship. The secular and the sacred should not be so separated in our lives. All that we do be unto the Lord. And every moment that we face, every anxiety that we face, every burden that we carry, every day of our lives be given to Jesus. Stop trying to be the author and perfecter of your faith. Stop trying to be the one who saves yourself when you are indeed the one who is in trouble. I read this recently and I thought it was a powerful illustration of unburdening and coming to Jesus. It says this, A compassionate doctor has traveled deep into the jungle to provide medical care to a tribe afflicted with a contagious disease. He has had his medical equipment flown in, he has correctly diagnosed the problem and the antibiotics are prepared and available. He is independently wealthy and has no need of any kind of financial compensation. But as he seeks to provide care, the afflicted refuse. They want to take care of themselves. They want to heal on their own terms. Finally, a few brave men step forward to receive the care being freely provided. What does the doctor feel? He feels joy. His joy increases to the degree that the sick come to him for help and healing. Indeed, it's the whole reason he came in the first place. How much more if the afflicted are not strangers, but his very own family? So with us, 
and so with Christ. He does not get frustrated or flustered with your needs and with your burdens and with the desire to offload onto Christ. Indeed, it's the whole point. It's the whole reason he came. It brings him great joy when we come to Jesus in need. Unburdening must become a daily practice for us, like gratefulness. Many of us continue to let life heap burden upon burden upon us. Some of us have allowed that weariness and burden to hang on for so long, it's now been grafted into who we are. We wouldn't recognize ourselves unless we're carrying that burden. We wouldn't recognize ourselves unless we were holding on to that weariness. Can I say, can I encourage you today, let go. Let go. You've been holding on to that thing for so long, holding on to that burden that you cannot fix, no matter how hard you try, no matter what you think you can do. You need to take that burden and lay it at the foot of the cross. We have held on too long to so many things that we think we can fix. But daily, start a habit, start a practice. For me, it's been a really simple prayer. I haven't just kind of thought about it. I don't don't wake up and just kind of think, oh cool, I'm going to unburden. I've made it a practice, like I said, like brushing my teeth. And for me, it's been a simple prayer that just says, Lord, I come to you and I lay the burdens of my life at your feet. I am weary in soul and I need your rest. And I thank you that you give it to me. Amen. At first, I noticed a small difference in how I felt, but now as it's becoming a daily habit, a daily practice. It's now as Paul writes and shares that we don't need to be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, and it goes on to say that there will be peace in our hearts. I personally feel my peace increasing and my anxiety diminishing because of the practice of unburdening. The third practice that I notice is the practice of a renewed mind. The practice of a renewed mind, of taking hold of our thoughts. It says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The Bible is very clear. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the peace of God will be with you. You know, neuroscientists say that it takes just three seconds for a negative memory to imprint on the human brain. Do you know how long it takes for a positive memory to imprint? 14 seconds. 14 seconds for a positive memory to imprint on the human brain. In other words, it's easier to be sad then glad. It comes most natural to us. And we must take hold of our thoughts, take control of our thoughts, whatever is true, noble, right. It goes on to say, think about such things. Why is it telling us that? Because we need to put that into practice. We need to take responsibility for our thoughts. How often at the end of the day, do you stop and ask yourself, what have I been thinking today? Do like a thoughts audit. What were you thinking about for most of the day? What captured your mind throughout the day? Um, So often we just let our mind wander 
but we know our minds are more drawn to possible problems or threats on the horizon than possibilities or promises. It probably comes from a time in humanity where we hunted and gathered, looking out for threats, looking out for danger and shaking ourselves free from the slide towards problems and threats has proven to be rather difficult. But this passage makes it abundantly clear that you and I have an active role in receiving God's peace. And that is to take hold of our thought patterns, take responsibility. You might be saying, Nadia, I can't find peace. God's not giving me peace. And yet you are taking no responsibility for the thoughts that you allow to take place throughout your day. No one can do that for you. And there's a strange sense of safety we feel in allowing ourselves to think defensively about the problems, but we must create new branches in the way that we think, new pathways. We must take hold and consciously start to think about what's true, what's noble, what's right, what's pure, what's lovely, what's admirable, what's excellent or praiseworthy. Think about such things. The fourth and final practice that I find in this passage of scripture, and perhaps the one that God has been speaking to me the most about over the last little while, is the practice of contentment. The practice of contentment. I'm so glad that the word contentment makes me feel good and that it's not one of those words that's like awful, because that would be strange. But when you say contentment, it's like, you feel a breath in the word. You feel like you can take a, take a seat and sit down and relax. Contentment. The practice of contentment. The scripture goes on to say, and I'm cracking up that I said earlier at number, number six. <laughs> I couldn't, for the life of me, I couldn't remember like saying verse, verse six, just had to be number six. At uh, verse 10, goes on to say, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Remember, he was in prison. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And then this, I am not saying this because I am in need. What? You're in prison. You are in need. I'm not saying this, he says, because I am in need, for I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, oh, the challenge goes deep right now. He goes on to say, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through what? Through him, Jesus Christ, through him who gives me strength. Like I said in the introduction to this message, there is an ever-moving goalpost of satisfaction, of contentment in our lives. It continually moves forward. We have a world that has created, uh, has, has shifted its desire and its love from the creator and onto the created, onto stuff. Uh, John D. Rockefeller uh, was the richest man in the world when he was asked, how much money is enough? And his famous reply was just a little bit more. 
just a little bit more. The ever-moving goalpost of satisfaction, just a little bit more. Is this ringing true for anyone today? Someone once wrote that with increase of wealth, the desire for wealth increases. We can end up in slavery to our own desires. That is why our heart must be fixed on Christ because whatever your heart focuses on, your heart representing your feelings and your desires and your thoughts will determine who you become. And we can end up in slavery to our own desires. There's the classic quote, I don't know who coined it, that says, do you own your things or do your things own you? The lust for more through advertising in our consumer-driven society has almost, almost become psychotic. But as Christians, we should not be buying into this lie. As Christians, we must believe what we say we believe and behave accordingly to see things for what they are, additions and not completions, things that might add to your life, but they certainly won't complete your life, things that might add little things into your life, but they certainly will not give you life. We should know this as Christians. First Timothy verse 6 says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money itself, for the love of money is a root, not the root, is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We must remember that everything is fleeting. Everything is fleeting. All we take with us is the relational. The love of money is behind so much of the darkness in our world. That's why the scripture goes on to say from that verse, but you, man of God, flee from all of this. Doesn't even say, but you, man of God, walk away from all of this. It literally says to flee from it. Get away from it. Get away from that heart, that desire to just be rich, to just have more. You, man of God, flee from all of this. That's why the Bible says that it's impossible to serve two masters, that you cannot serve both man and God. You will always serve just one. The question is, who are you serving? And we must be asking ourselves that constantly. And by ensuring that we are not getting caught up in our desire for stuff and remembering that Christ is all that we need, we make sure that money does not become a master in our lives. Now, there are certainly people who are graced with giving and finances. These people, when generous, are a great blessing to our world. Uh, I'm really lucky to know probably personally a handful of, of wealthy families, wealthy people who are the most generous people in the world and what a blessing they are. But the Bible is very clear when it says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor put their hope 
in their wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It goes on and says, command again, command them to do good, do good, good works, to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And this way, They will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold and catch this, take hold of the life that is truly life. Like I said, not simply an addition, not just adding something on, but true life. The gravitational pull of this world is to want more, even when we have more than enough. In the church, we teach about what to do with 10% of our finances, but we should also be living biblically with how we manage the other 90%. It should be what sets us apart as Christians. We should be the most generous people on earth. John Wesley, who founded the Methodist Church, after watching his friends fall into the trap of deeply desiring affluence, it was all that they wanted, decided that he would live off 28 pounds a year. At the time he was earning 30 pounds, more than enough to get his family by, it was a long time ago. By the end of his life, because of book sales, etc., he was earning 1,400 pounds a year. And yet he was still living off 28 pounds a year. He was giving the rest away to the church and to the poor. He said that this was one of the greatest keys to his happiness and contentment. So what are some practical things that we can do to practice contentment? Perhaps it's limiting, deciding as a family or as an individual, limiting how much you're going to own. Uh, You might be a property developer, so you're going to own lots of homes, but you might not be. Perhaps God's not calling you to that. Maybe he's saying, hey, this this and that, and that's it. Maybe you've got two cars and should probably just have one. Whatever it might be, what I'm suggesting to you is to allow the Holy Spirit to really search your heart and speak to you about how you should be practicing contentment. What is it that you need to do today to ensure that money is not your master? A lot of the time we just need to give it away, hand it over practice generosity. Perhaps you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you to be like John Wesley and cap your salary and give away the rest. This is not something old school. We have a friend in New Zealand who recently reached out to us and told us that he is going to cap his salary from his business that is going really well and he wants to give the rest to the church and to the poor. What an incredible step and I believe with all of my heart that he will know contentment. Perhaps it's deleting apps like Amazon, Instagram, Pinterest, things that are always causing us to feel like we need to upgrade, like what we have isn't quite right, like what we have is not enough. If you've got things in your world that are causing you to feel that way, get rid of them because the whole thing, my friend, is a lie. Advertising is simply to turn a want into a felt need. Someone once said there are two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more and more. The other 
is simply to desire less. One is to get more and more and more and more to feel like you have enough. Or the other is simply to desire less. We must recognize that we, you and I, are absolutely being played on a day-to-day basis. You do not need that thing that you think you need. You don't need that random new health tonic that's been advertising or advertised all over Instagram. All you need to do is eat better and drink more water. You don't need that brand of t-shirt because it has a special red tag on it. Just appreciate your current t-shirt. Honestly, it's probably better quality. You don't necessarily need to buy it brand new. Perhaps it's something that you could buy secondhand. And until we realize this, until we realize that it's only the creator and not the created that is going to bring us contentment, until we realize that we will find ourselves in a constant state of discontentment. Another way to practice uh, contentment is just by practicing generosity. Like I said, find something to give away. Giving is Jesus' antidote to the poison that is greed. It is better to give than to receive. Rather than thinking about what you've been able to receive over the last little while, what people have given to you, how about you start thinking about what you have given and what you have given to others. Give some stuff away that you have in your home. Find a way to declutter. Find a way to simplify your life. I do believe that we can find rest for our souls, not only when we die, but while we live. And it's through the practice of biblical living. Let me encourage you again, practice gratitude. Do it on a daily basis. What can you be grateful for today, right now? Think to yourself, what can I be grateful for? Start to combat those thoughts that cause you to think about what you don't have. Be grateful. Practice unburdening. What is it that you've been holding on to for far too long? And in a moment, I'm going to pray. And I, my prayer is that during that prayer, you will take this seriously and approach Jesus and finally unburden yourself of all the worries and anxieties that you have been carrying for far too long. Practice mind renewal. Remember, it's far easier to have negative thoughts imprint on your brain than positive. We must take an active role in sorting this out in making sure that we are taking responsibility for the way that we are thinking on a daily basis because it is making a difference in your life and it will affect who you will become, the kind of spouse you'll be, the kind of husband you'll be, the kind of wife you'll be, the kind of mother that you will be. Take control of your thoughts. And finally, practice being content. Be grateful for what you have. Get rid of those apps. You do not need more. Everything that you need is found in Christ. Let me pray for you. And then I'm going to pray for a second group of people soon who are saying, I just, I need a relationship with Jesus. But right now, wherever you are in your home, I invite you right now to pray this prayer with me. And I ask, would you just close your eyes and really focus on Christ as you and I pray together and find rest for our souls today. Lord, we thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you that you didn't just put us here on earth 
and leave us to figure it out, but you gave us a way to live. And when we practice those ways to live, the joy and the freedom and the contentment that we can find is incredible. And so today, God, Holy Spirit, would you meet with every single person? Would you search our hearts today, Lord? Would you help us to uncover the burdens that we have been carrying for too long? Would you help us to understand that you are filled with joy when we come to you with our anxieties and our worries? Father, help us to put into practice these things that you have taught us to do. Help us to start to develop our Christian walk, this journey of sanctification, that there is so much more to our faith if only we would step out and trust you. God, would you speak to us today? Fill us with your presence in Jesus' name. And every person said, Amen. Amen. I pray that that will bless you through your week today. But you might be tuning in today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Can I just say that starting a relationship with him is the greatest decision that you will ever make. I'm not suggesting that becoming a Christian is going to make your world a whole lot easier. You will continue to find things and and valleys and mountains that you have to cross over just like anybody else. But the biggest difference is that you will no longer do it alone. Christ will be with you. He is Emmanuel, Christ with us. And the incredible good news of the gospel is that when we ask Christ to come into our hearts, what takes place is that he stands in the gap. He stands in front of us so that when the Father looks to us, he doesn't see us with all of the stuff, with all of the sin. He sees Jesus, the blameless, the sinless, who stands in front and makes a way for you and I to have a relationship with God. What an incredible opportunity for any person to come into relationship with their creator. And I promise you, it is a journey for sure. We all go on the journey of discipleship. And today, if you do decide to make this decision, we'd love you to click that little raise a hand button. And we do that because we want to walk that journey with you. We want to help you as a disciple of Jesus start to find these new joys, these new practices that you can put in place in your life on that journey of sanctification and becoming all that God has called you to be. And so if that's you, if you're saying, Nadia, I I need a relationship with Jesus. I, I I need that fresh start. Perhaps you walked away and you're coming home today. Um, man, that's the most amazing thing ever. When when prodigals, when people come to Jesus, like I said earlier, he's not frustrated. He's not annoyed. It's, it's the opposite. Indeed, it's the reason why he came in the first place. And so this moment is for you right now. This moment is um, an incredibly holy moment. And uh, I would encourage every Christian as I say a line of the prayer, if you're praying this prayer because you're inviting Jesus into your heart today, I encourage you to pray it from your heart. But if you're a Christian here today, why don't you join with anyone who's deciding to pray this prayer as well. Would you close your eyes with me? I'm going to say a line of the prayer and you can repeat it after me. It goes like this. Dear Jesus, I thank you for what you did for me on the cross. I ask, would you come into my life? Would you forgive me? Would you wash me clean? I repent today, Lord. And I ask, would you walk with me on a daily basis? 
I thank you that you are good. I thank you that you are with me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Incredible. If that's you today, um, you know, you should feel the applause of heaven. And if we were in physical church today, you would hear the applause of our whole church family for this incredible moment. But if that's you, I encourage you to just click that button so that one of our hosts can get in touch with you and we can walk this journey with you. Amen. Well, church, I hope that this message blessed you. I hope that you are enjoying this series, The Practice of Biblical Living. I know that it's just going to continue to get better and better. And so be sure to continue tuning in. Have an awesome week. Put things into practice and uh, we'll see you next week. We are so glad you joined us for the Local Church Podcast. To get connected, please follow us on social media and check out our website for groups and other ways to get involved.